So the beat goes on. And the beat goes on. And what have we seen in Acts? You know Acts 1 verse 8. Well, hopefully you've got Acts 1 verse 8 drilled into your memory. We were going to sing the memory verse with the little ones this afternoon, but not to be, perhaps next week. Acts 1 verse 8 sums up all that is going on and going to happen in Luke's second half of his gospel. What are we seeing? That God is all about reaching the ends of the earth. His great and glorious gospel is changing lives, it's changing destinies, it's changing eternities. And we ask big questions of God, don't we? Haven't we done that in the pandemic? God, what are you doing? What is going on? What is your plan? Perhaps you ask that quite regularly of God in the minutia of life, in the detail of life. Why is that happening, Lord? Why did you let that happen? Why that conversation? Why that place? Why not make yourself clear in that area? What is God doing? It's a question we often ask. And Acts actually gives us the answer. Not just when the Spirit comes and when the apostles take God's word. It gives us the answer for all things. What is God doing? Well, he's always reaching the ends of the earth. He's always, always extending his great and glorious gospel out to others. He is changing lives one by one, changing destinies. He's changing eternities. He is always about building his church, his bride. That is what God is always doing. There's the answer that Acts gives us. And perhaps we want a more detailed answer to our particular, particular circumstance. Here's God's broad answer. What am I all about? I'm all about taking my good news to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Remember where we left it last week? Stephen brutally martyred and a great persecution breaks out. And all the apostles, sorry, all except the apostles are scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. It's only the apostles that stay in Jerusalem. And as Johnny mentioned, Saul is at the heart. Saul is the one approving. Saul is the one who's, when he finds Christians, he's throwing them in prison. And surely the reader, I think, is meant to ask, this will stunt the growth of the church, won't it? This will stunt the growth of God's great plan to the ends of the earth. No, it does not. No, it does not. It's like wildfire, except not out of control, because God's always in control. It's completely in control, the living God who is searching for his people to bring them back to himself. And in Acts 8 verse 4, we read, Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. So off they go, to the ends of the earth. And we've seen throughout Acts that it's dynamic, it's moving, it's action-packed, there's growth. We see big numbers, Acts 2 verse 41, 3,000 people believe. Acts 4 verse 4, 5,000 join. Acts 6 verse 7, we read of a rapid increase in numbers. 
And so we see this movement and we see the crowds and we get the sweeping mega narrative in Acts that God is about growth. The living God is on the move. But I don't know about you, I want to hear the stories. The living God is on the move and there's 3,000, there's 5,000 and there's many, there's rapid growth. But what about the stories? Don't you ask that question when you're on the tube in London amongst the masses of people and you look at people on the tube and you think, what's their story? They're all commuting into the city, of course, to do similar jobs, but what's their story? And Luke doesn't disappoint. Crowds, numbers, growth. What's the story of individuals? Summer of Sports Plus camps for young people and leaders. They're coming up for some of us who work at Christians in Sport. And it's great to see God's word moving in the lives of young people as they engage with it. It's great to see, see crowds of people gather, participate. But it's lovely to receive the one email from a parent at the end of Sports Plus Camp saying, my child was really affected. My child loved it. And here's why, dot, 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 dot. We love the story. Crowds at the football match. Did you watch it last night? Sure you did. We hear the roar. 3-0, 4-0. We see the wave of movement of the England fans. Perhaps the other night was even better with the Germany game for some of us. But it's better. When the camera zooms in and there's a slow-mo. I saw it last night. There's a slow-mo of a lad knocking the hat off his mate by accident. He was celebrating the goal. And in the same moment, a lad on the other side was celebrating with his other arm. He punched the drink out of his hand. Hat fallen off. Drink out the hand. We love to see the detail. The story. And don't we like to see that the state of Christianity across Eastern Europe... And yet we can narrow it down to will in Albania. Or the persecution of Christians in India. And we can pinpoint it down to Nanindas in his seminary. We love the story, the detail, the individual. And so look, here we zoom in into Philip. Amidst the crowds being converted. Here's Philip. With one man. And he's the right man. On the right road, at the right time, to meet the Ethiopian eunuch. Verse 5, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. Look, it seems that the seven godly men, do you remember the seven godly men that were set apart, appointed to do the diaconate functions of the church? They've been scattered too. It really is only the apostles left in Jerusalem. And we see that Philip is in Samaria. <laughs> Look what he's doing. It's so good. Look, he isn't organising the church rota. That's kind of the job that he was brought in for. He isn't sorting the rota out for creche or junior church. He's not setting up the, church, the chairs. He's proclaiming Christ. So he's kind of doing what he wasn't put in position to do. But the word of God has grabbed him. And he goes. And he's filled with the spirit, we know. And look, we've missed out a story. You'll have seen that. The interesting story of Simon... Who believes and yet his heart is not right. Check that story out um, tonight or this week. Because we are going to skip that. 
And we see that Peter and John, they're brought down to deal with the situation. And then they're heading back up to Jerusalem. And an angel of the Lord directs Philip onto the road again. So here's three scenes. We're going to look at three detailed scenes as we zoom into the story. See more of the missional heart of God as we're seeing throughout Acts. We see the missional God in action. First of all, God orchestrated moments. Scene one, God orchestrated moments. Look at verse 26. An angel of the Lord, he says to Philip, go south. You can go on, there's a nudge. Go south, not north. Peter and John back up north to Jerusalem. Uh, surely that's where the action is. We've all been scattered. Surely there's still a pivotal point in Jerusalem to work from. No, go south, says the Spirit. Later on, the Spirit, the angel of the Lord in verse 26. Be good if that happened to us, wouldn't it? Often doesn't clear direction in a crossroads of life but it isn't that clear I don't know about you but I've never witnessed an angel of the Lord who said go south look I've ended up south born in Carlisle and now south as uh, perhaps I ever want to be I'm sitting opposite look three Scotsmen just chatting to the boys here they're too far south they keep saying An angel of the Lord has never told me to go anywhere. But there's a a, a nudge of the Spirit. Why doesn't an angel of the Lord work today? Well, perhaps it's because we need to keep trusting him. There's a prompting of the Spirit. We'll talk about that in a moment. But the angel of the Lord says specifically to Philip, go south. And look at verse 27. We see an Ethiopian eunuch. Now, let's get the detail right about this guy. Is a guy who's been castrated. That's what a eunuch is. It's for the purpose of his trusted service in a royal household. A king would often castrate his servants to ensure that they would not be tempted to engage in sexual, in sec, sexual activity with others in the palace. And specifically in the royal harem. Or, or it, it was to prevent their plotting an overthrow. Eunuchs were then incapable of setting up a dynasty of their own. And we read that he is an important official. He's like the Chancellor of the Exchequer, the Treasurer. We think, we read that he's a God-fearer. He's going to the temple to worship, or he's been to the temple to worship. But we understand If we read in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 23 verse 1, it says this, No one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. So we know specifically that he's a eunuch, and yet we know, and we know that he's gone up to the temple to worship, and we know specifically that he's not been allowed to enter into the temple of the Lord. Turned away. Drawn to God, but finds him out of reach. A thoughtful man, who in a moment we see is reading from the scroll of Isaiah. Perhaps that's something that you feel today. You return to town church with a a heavy but thoughtful heart. Perhaps 
It's the way that you feel about you and the God of the Bible. Why would he care for me? He seems too far out of reach. Perhaps it's not quite fitting into society. And therefore you don't think that you fit with God. Maybe God doesn't accept people like me. There's too many barriers, too many hurdles to get over. Perhaps that's exactly how the Ethiopian eunuch was feeling as he travelled back down through Egypt to the Nile region, which was Ethiopia. And here we see God's heart for lost people. Here we see God going after people who have been shut out. Shut out for many different reasons. And how does God go after them? It's always the same. He he sends his people. He goes after lost people by sending his people. Look at verse 29. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. See, perhaps in this story you identify yourself more with Philip. God's done a, a a work within your heart. You see the God of mission. And when you see the heart of God in mission, it's shaping your own heart. And the question remains for us, I think, as we read this. Where is the Spirit prompting us? Go to that chariot and stay near it. The Spirit told Philip again. I don't hear audible voices from the, from the Spirit, but I'm certain at times there's promptings. Where does the Spirit prompt you to go and to speak? And to tell and to share life with others. When you know you have to act, when you know you have to invite a friend, you know because your desire, your heart is being shaped by the missional heart of God. You know you've got to go and do it. I remember with a, a friend from Running Club, I knew I had to ask him. Do you want to read the Bible with me? Hated it, one hand. Knees knocking on one hand. But I knew it was the right thing to do. It was the Spirit's problem. Just ask him. The weirdest question in the whole of mankind. Do you want to read the Bible with me with a friend? Isn't it? Feels weird. Feels odd. It's too out there. It's too radical. Prompt. Spirit's prompting. That's why we pray regularly on Friday mornings and peace and prayer. Father, here we are. Would you use me? Would you use us? Would you use me to reach someone today? That's why we pray. Because there's not a natural burden that I have. It's the Spirit's prompting that often does it for me. Some words by Rico Tyson, his great book honest evangelism recommend it highly he says this it's a prompting there's nothing by accident that happens you're in the lives of the people around you because God's sovereign in mission he wants you like Philip to be the way that others come to him Rico says this he says in God's sovereignty what is going on in history is that God is reaching out to people so that they will reach out for him See, the reason your neighbour lives where she does is so that she will be, get reached for the gospel. Why did God want a Christian, you, 
to be in your workplace. Yes, so you can bless your boss and workers by working hard and honestly. But first and foremost, it's so that others there can hear the gospel. It's no accident that you know the people you do. It's no accident that they're in your path. They need the gospel. You know the gospel. God wants them to hear the gospel. And that transforms how I look at my life. It makes it really exciting. I wonder if you're excited by the opportunity. The nudge of the spirit to go. Well, first seeing God orchestrated moments. Look, secondly, God's word revealed. Look at verse 30. Philip runs up to the chariot. Listening to a sermon on this by Mike Cain. He painted a picture wonderfully. I think of chariots of fire. So I think of Philip sprinting up, you know, sweating just out there. Just within kind of stone's throw distance of the chariot because... Here's the Ethiopian eunuch, and he would have been reading out loud as they did then. No one read within the head like we do now, quietly to themselves. He'd have been in his chariot reading out loud. So Philip, a stone's throw away, and I imagine Philip sprinting up, you know, headband on and all for it. But alas, the chariot would have most likely been pulled by oxen, plodding along. There's no sprint by Philip. He's just kind of wandered up. So it kind of uh, shattered my whole perception of Philip, chariots of fire, just going for it. And so Philip, a stone's throw away from the chariot. Do you understand what you're reading? And the unit replies, nah, no, I haven't got a Scooby-Doo. I haven't. I haven't got a clue unless someone explains it to me. Oh, look at this man. He's hungry. He's teachable. That's what John Calvin says. He acknowledges his ignorance freely and frankly. Who does that today? For one in a hundred is only to be found who freely submits to God's word. And so here's Philip, the right man in the right place. And what is the eunuch reading? He reads from Isaiah 53. Look, he's keen enough to to buy a scroll. He would have had to buy this. He would have been reading it out out loud and and look, he's gone out of his way. He's intrigued and yet he's been held at arm's length by the religious state. And so he reads from Isaiah 53. Let's read these words. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. Verse 33. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch is scratching his head. Who is the prophet speaking about? Is he speaking about himself or someone else? Verse 35. Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Can you imagine that conversation? Can you imagine the eunuch's eyes wide open, heart pounding, so close, yet perhaps he's never felt so far away, going to Jerusalem to worship and yet being held at arm's length. 
Perhaps feeling the enormous weight of humiliation at the temple. That awful moment, have you been there? I was in a wedding queue once when we were lining up to go into the venue. And the bride and groom were waiting to greet their guests. I was with a friend. It was a wonderful, humorous moment for me. But a humiliating moment for my friend. As he got to the bride and groom and they had to tell him that actually he was only invited for the evening ceremony. Yeah, the evening celebration. Oh, I had a good moment of laughter. But my friend, with tail between his legs, went out. You're turned away, sir. You don't have the right credentials, the right invitation. That's the eunuch. And he reads of Jesus. The one humiliated. The one led like a lamb, silent. A sheep to be slaughtered. No justice. Heart of the eunuch pounding. As Philip told him the good news about Jesus. Here's the one. Who was cut off to bring us home. He was the one that was excluded to bring us into the party. Cut off so that people can be in the presence of God. What a reminder for us. His gospel truth. Now perhaps this week and you thought am I good enough? I made the grade. You've had a stinker of a week. He's got you. He was despised and rejected for you. Because he loves you so much. You think that justice hasn't prevailed for you this week? It's just been full on at work. And your boss hasn't noticed that you've had all this work piling up. And it's just not fair. Look, he's walked your path. And he feels your pain. Cut off. So that you can be welcomed home. That's why we keep holding out God's word. Every Sunday we'll try and teach it. Home groups will have it open. We encourage growth groups with a book to keep pulling each other towards God's word. Because when God's word is revealed, the spirit and the word, they're in action. And so you see the unit. And Philip explaining it to him. Then the two scenes. Last scene. God transforms lives. The absolute joy in the moment. Oh fabulous. Look at this. Verse 36. As they travelled along the road. They came to some water. And the eunuch said. Look. Here is water. Here's a pool. He says. What can stop us? Can anything stop us? What can stand in the way of me now being baptised? I think it's really important that we get this. Here's the eunuch and he says, what can stop us? He's been stopped. Someone who has found Judaism, someone who's a Jew, who's, who's been taught it somehow that he comes to the temple to worship and yet he's kept at arm's length. What can stop us now? He's got it. The moment's clicked. The penny's dropped. Here's a pull. Baptism simply says, I've started a new life with Jesus. That's what baptism is. A transformation has taken place. We're going to have a baptism service in the autumn. 
where some people within town church, we know of a few, but we hope many, will simply say, I've started a new life with Jesus. Here's the sign. I want to show you what's happened within my own heart. If that's you and you're thinking about that, come and see one of the elders. We'd love that to be a moment of rejoicing. A moment when you simply say, I've been forgiven. I know I'm not accepted by my good deeds, by my own merit, but I've been accepted by the work of Jesus. Philip's taken away, probably not by miracle as the wording might sound like, probably not, but look at the eunuch. End of verse 39, he went on his way rejoicing. It's a great reminder for me, for us. Looking for happiness, looking for joy, looking for contentment. Look at it, look for it in all areas of life. It's only found in Jesus that all of my experiences would point to him. The giver of all good things. Looking for acceptance, looking for fulfilment, trying to fit in with the crowd. Look. Here's the eunuch, he found acceptance. He finds fulfilment in Jesus. He's the God of mission. The missional God found him. We've seen the numbers, 3,000, 5,000, many, many more. But look, here's one person at a time. The missional God finds the Ethiopian eunuch. And he found me. I remember going to a, a concert, delirious, old school, magic. Well, you know, far from magic, just a good Christian youth band. If you can say good, I think they were good. They used to sing a song. It went something like this. I found Jesus. Carried on. I found Jesus. And I remember it. My youth leader turned to us all and he stopped us as we were kind of raving away. <laughs> And he said, it's wrong. What they're saying is wrong. Jesus found me. Jesus found me. See the missional heart of God. See what he's doing in Acts. See what he's doing now. See with all the questions that we might have around the pandemic and around other issues of life. Do you know what his answer is all the time? Here's his answer all the time, every single time. That we ask that question, here's what I'm doing. I'm reaching the ends of the earth. I'm extending my great and glorious gospel out to others that don't know me. I'm changing lives, destinies, eternities. I'm building my church. And do you know how I'm going to do that? Through my church. Through the feeble members of town church. I'm going to equip them. And I'm going to prompt them. I'm going to show them my missional heart. Look, when the Ethiopian got home, do you think he told others about Jesus? Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Thank you for your word.